This is John and Jennifer Neiman. We've been married almost 27 years, coming here in March of 2023. We have three kids. They're all in college, ages 23, 21, and almost 19. And uh, we're just excited to be here today to talk about marriage and talk about lessons learned, but also just what God's called us to be in, um, in the institution of marriage. So if you don't know us too well, you may not know how we met, and we met in a very traditional um, circumstances. We met at a cattle feeding conference, you know, pretty traditional for most people, but we truly did, and it was love at first sight. For me. For John. And, but he was persistent, and I think that's a key thing in marriage, to be persistent. And um, Some called it stalking. I called it persistent. Yeah, I like, I like persistent better. And um, after about a year, I agreed to go out with him after him leaving messages on my answering machine about how I should be dating him and not any of my current ones. So that seemed to work. We went out, and four months later, we were engaged, and five months later, we were married. So it was quick, and some people ask, how and why did you do it so fast? Well, we never lived in the same state till we were married, and, you know, I mean, we were really—I kind of thought he was pretty cute, so, you know, I was ready to get married and get rolling. So um, we—there were a few things early on that— um, were kind of non-negotiables. And when you're only engaged five months and you didn't date very long, there's some ups and downs in marriage. And But one thing that was a non-negotiable for both of us is we always went to church. And John grew up Lutheran, I grew up Methodist, but we really didn't care what church. We just knew that that was important to marriage, and we'd had great examples with our parents in and, and church. And it might have been because John's dad called every Sunday and asked if we went to church, but um, that was a great thing for us, and we found a little church where we lived, and we went from there. Yeah, and I think what, what was interesting about the dating window is that uh, we didn't have a lot of technology, right? We talked by landlines and... Uh, calling cards. Calling cards, but what we knew was there was an attraction there and that we wanted to be together. And, and we joked that we both dated a lot uh, of people, you know, when we were in college and, and really didn't have any real significant, serious relationships in the way that we said, hey, we're thinking this is the marriage. But when I remember meeting her and I just have to tell this part because I was standing in line of this chuck wagon barbecue at the cattle feeding conference and I'm have a friend with me, and, and she helped introduce Jen to me as Jen was handing out the brochures for this event. And I walked away, and I probably in my arrogant sarcasm said, hey, I need to know what your address is. And the lady said, well, why is that? I said, I just met the woman that I want to marry. I need to know where to mail the wedding invitation. <laughs> and she's like, John, you're just so full of yourself, which is true. However, <laughs> I was quite confident that this was the lady. It was the it was the little Southern Texas twang, the curly hair. I think she was wearing like red Wrangler jeans. <laughs> I mean, it was everything you ever wanted back in the uh, you know mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, mid nineties. So I think the other part of all of this is that when when you don't spend a lot of time dating you spend a lot of your first part of marriage learning about each other. And I think there was a lot that we didn't know, but being both of us growing up in church and being Christian and both coming from very strong families, uh, parents that have been married uh, on both sides a long time, is that there was this real 
commitment to figuring it out. And, and the figuring it out, uh, while maybe you could argue wasn't always easy, we always, because we were in a church and we were surrounded by life groups and people who cared about us, that we, we grew in that. And uh, we're just very thankful that uh, we had good people around us to set a good example early on. And there are some things he should have just rolled with with me, like, you know, you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle. And he just didn't squeeze the toothpaste from the middle. So finally, I still don't. I, squeeze I solved the that problem just by buying two tubes of toothpaste. And you know, you get real wound up with little things when you when you get married and you think they're big things. Just buy two tubes of toothpaste, and it solves a whole lot of issues. It's a couple of things we had come up in our marriage very quickly after we got married. John got a call to to move, and we were living in Colorado. I love the state of Colorado. And all of a sudden, um, he got a call that we were going to move to Indiana. And I wasn't quite sure where that was. You know, when you grow up in Texas, geography doesn't really um, come into play. And so I wasn't quite sure where that one of those rectangular states were That's because they teach (laughs) Texas geography, not U.S. geography in the state of Texas. So we we moved to Indianapolis, and it was it was ended up being a great move because it was a time where we didn't have a lot of family around us, and we kind of had to just solidify a little bit more in the marriage, and but yet we we found another church. We went to a Lutheran church, and it was it was a great place where we grew a lot. My first mops group was at that church, and I had a lot of great mentors. One of the interesting things that happened, though, was we were invited to an event. Uh, it was a free lunch is how I looked at it. Well, it was an off-site event for the church, and come to find out, it was their big stewardship campaign. And in the midst of all of this, they, they made an ask uh, to contribute to this large capital project. And, and I was like, wow, I just thought this was a big gathering and free lunch. And if you maybe know a little background, I mean, in the Lutheran Church, you certainly tithe, but you didn't talk about this stuff a lot, right? People just took care of things, and I knew my parents gave to the church. But this was the first time I felt like we'd really been asked and so probably like a lot of people, when you hear the church, and Aaron talks about this and others, is when you hear the church talk about money, it kind of pushes you away. Uh, but in the midst of this lunch, um, Jen starts filling out a piece of paper. And I say, what are you doing? She's like, well, I'm filling out the commitment card. I'm like, oh, you are not filling that out. I don't even know if that's what we need to do or, you know. We're having this whispering argument at our table. And one thing about John as I was slowly learning early in our marriage, is he does not like public conflict. Like, if you got a conflict, you're going to take it outside. And he's like, we, we're we not having this discussion here. We are going outside to discuss this. And I'm like, what is there to discuss? So there's like 500 <laughs> people in the room, and we walk outside, and we're standing out there, and I'm like, I am just not ready to make this kind of a commitment. And she's like, well, I just feel like God's speaking to me. I go, he's not speaking to me. It's not how it's happening. And so... The, the irony, we worked through that, um, but here's the irony. Like today, I'm serving on the stewardship team <laughs> at Reliance, and we talk about, well, we don't want to offend anybody. We want this to be a heart decision. And I just remember it not being in my heart at the time because it wasn't something we talked about mm-hmm. growing up. And, and with that, that fast forwards to uh, coming back to Kansas, and we were at Asbury, and we, we had visited uh, 13 churches in a year and uh, just never felt at home until we found Asbury. And I remember meeting Pastor Dennis and then 
we were in the back of the church because that's what we did and still do sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I was a little, um, I, we would go to the service mid morning, which, you know, people raised hands and us Lutherans, we just didn't raise hands. And so that I was not that, you know, yeah, it was not to too me much. Too, but so, anyway, yeah. we, we sat in the back. Uh, but I remember they talked about announcements and that they were doing this Crown Financial Ministries class. And I just probably for the first time felt like God was nudging me in a way, probably if I look back and say, when did the Holy Spirit really speak to you? And I feel like that was it. And it was, we should sign up for that. John just looked at me and he pointed down at the bulletin, the paper bulletin, and it said Crown Financial Ministries. And we had been talking a little bit about, you know, budgeting and tithing and and things. And of course, we had our experience at, at Carmel Lutheran, which was awesome for John, but it just, all of a sudden it was like everything stopped and there was just this light shining on that paper and it said Crown Financial Ministries. And we just were like, well, we've not only found our, our program we want to go through, we found our church. Yeah. And so we signed up and uh, really just, it was powerful. Uh, It was the first time I really felt like, you know, God was speaking to me personally about financial resources. I always viewed that I was in charge of my promotions. I just needed to work harder uh, you know, and that, that, uh, from that, I, I realized that, you know, God's in charge of our promotion and that we're merely stewards and, and it really changed my perspective. And what was really cool about all of that was that we went through, um, a gifting exercise and to learn about our spiritual gifts. And it was there. And then as we even moved, um, after that, uh, to California, where we did a spiritual gift survey again, that it really was called out to me um, from God that my my spiritual gift was generosity, and ooh, it just it it still to this day um, gets me because here I was uh, early on uh, resisting the very gift God was gifting uh, us and me specifically around generosity, and and I think that it was most important that in that time of resistance, if I didn't have a partner like Jennifer, I may have missed uh, the greatest gift God was trying to bestow on me and um, her encouragement and also just having someone as a sounding board. Because if you don't like something, you need to walk away, right? But if you have a partner in that, you talk about it. And that really changed not only our marriage, but it changed my perspective on on generosity and and really having a heart for that. And even to this day, I really believe that's what God has called um, me to do in many different ways, and not just financially, but how do you give of your time and and how do you just serve others? And and I may have very well missed that had I not had a, a good partner in Jen. Well, and I think, too, the people we had around us, we had um, two really awesome life groups we went to in Indiana, and one was um, our peers. They were all in their late 20s, early 30s, and it was a great life group. And then we went to another one. Um, that we were by far the youngest. The peop- the the next oldest were probably our age now in their fifties, and we were early thirties, old, old, yeah, old. And we absolutely we got so much out of the that life group because we had mentors that would we'd hear them talk about generosity or giving or or marriage or whatever it was. And we had one couple that had been married. Oh, they were they'd been married probably 40, 50 years, and. It was very, it was just awesome to have both sides of that and to have mentors. And like I said, I was in a mops group and I had people around me to, and people around John to, 
just speak life into us about marriage and encourage us in our marriage and to remind us that it's not always about solving a conflict, but it's just about enjoying where you are and enjoying each other. And um, then we got another little phone call and we moved, like he said, we moved back to Kansas. So we were here where John's family's close. My family's not too far away. And then all of a sudden this opportunity came up to move to Fresno, California. And, you know, that was kind of um, attractive, actually. It's warm out there. And we went and visited and, and we loved it. And, and uh, we moved out there and we spent a three-year vacation is what we call it because it was a great time. And the beauty of it was, like John said, it had taken us almost a year to find Asbury. It took no time. It was the first church John went to. It was called Mountain View Community Church, and he immediately felt at home. And then the family came out, and we went, and we just connected immediately, which was a beauty because we didn't know how long we'd be there. And we didn't want to waste a year looking for a church that would fulfill us. And and God just did a lot of really cool things. The, the very last song that we sang at Asbury— was the song that we were singing, they were singing at Mountain View when we walked in. And um, it was, it was just this little confirmation from the Lord going, this is where I want you. And so we, we were there a couple of weeks and they were having a new member class. So we thought, oh, well, we want to go. We really want to join this church. And <clears throat> like I said, it was called Mountain View Community Church. So we go to this, um, we go to the new member class and we find out that it's a Mennonite Brethren Church. And we're like, oh, well, okay. So we learn a lot about, you know, there, it really wasn't a lot about being Mennonite brethren. It was about the Lord. It was about the word. It was about the spirit. And they um, encouraged us to be, to really come into our own place of our walk with Christ. And we decided to be baptized again. John and I were both baptized as babies and and in my testimony, I talk about how I have complete belief and firm belief in that baptism, but it was time for me to affirm what my parents had done for me. And I think John felt the same way. We wanted to affirm what our parents had done. And so we wrote testimonies and we, pres we, we gave them in front of the church and we were immersed together. And it was, it was an awesome step in our marriage to do that together. And what we, what I didn't say before. I, I should mention <laughs> that, I mean. She did amazing, and when I did mine, I cried a lot, which that's me, but I, it was, I, it would have been hard to do standing up there mm -hmm. by myself, and I just, mm -hmm. I think part of the emotion was the idea that we were standing up there in unity, and, and maybe the piece that I think is so important, because it goes back to the, the wedding vows that we were given um, during the ceremony, and the pastor talked about, you are creating a new institution, and I hadn't really thought about it like that, right? I mean, sometimes at the front end of marriage, and you're like, hey, we're getting married. I love this person. You know, she's beautiful. We're going to have life together. But I never really thought about the call out of creating an institution. Mm -hmm. And an institution mm -hmm. has a very strong foundation. And each of these examples we've <laughs> given, we've been very fortunate to go to different churches with different denominations that all were Christ-centered. Mm -hmm. And, and I think one of the key takeaways in this, and, and this got affirmed to me just recently uh, this summer, of in your marriage, put God first, spouse second, and all other things behind that. And oftentimes we talk about putting our spouse first. Well, we've talked about this in our church group, and that is if, if God is at the center of your life and first, 
you can handle a lot of change. You can handle lots of ups and downs because you have a strong foundation and a strong institution. And being able to affirm that institution jointly through baptism uh, was was super powerful and impactful to both of us. And what we didn't um, say in the beginning is when we were engaged, we, I mean, we weren't, we weren't engaged very long. I mentioned that. And there were a few, you know, every once in a while I got a little cold feet. And, and, a, and a big one was when John wouldn't pray out loud. And, you know, that was a big thing. And I just had this, everything said on the fact that he had to pray out loud. And he reminded me, because you don't pray out loud in the Lutheran church, you know. It's unless, it's for, <laughs> unless it's around the dinner table or it's printed in the front of the uh, Bible. In other words, I was being a little legalistic on some things and throughout our growth in our faith. And then the, when we were standing on stage and John's giving his, ba- his testimony, the Lord just said to me, see, I had it all under control. And I, the, whole, the whole point John just made of focusing on God first and then your spouse and then your kids is just, it's a great triangle to think about because so many times when you start having kids, you know, you, things become about the kids. And one u- unique thing about us right now is we, we are in this empty nesting situation. And John laughs at me because when people say, oh, you're empty nesting, I just think, no, I still have a pretty full nest. It just doesn't happen to have kids in my house right now. And they still call, text, or ask for money, you know, sometimes every every week. So it's not an empty (laughs) nest. You know, and my response to that is our goal in our marriage, my goal in my life, and in John's, I just, I believe it's, we're called to enjoy everyday life. And the Holy Spirit walks with us and allows us to do that, to enjoy everyday life. I mean, I get in my car to go somewhere or I get up and I'm working at home that day or whatever it might be. And it's just, it's so fun because you walk with the Spirit and you enjoy everyday life. And I feel like we, every year in our marriage, we have worked toward that. We have worked together in coming to that place. And the other night I pulled out our cards from past XO conferences, because we've been to three. And um, so I want to encourage you to go to XO. It's great. But at the end of XO, you write down five things you want to do for your spouse. And each of the five have been very similar, what John wrote, what I wrote. And I've decided that really there's those five things when we do them every day, we have a great situation. We have great, um, great days. We enjoy everyday life whenever we do these five things. And so you want to start with the first one? Number one, only <laughs> say what's necessary. You know, and we sometimes think if I just try harder, if I just try harder on my own, no, these things are biblical. And I sometimes want to argue with the Lord and say, no, I need to say more. I mean, if y'all know me, I, I like to use a lot of words. And then I come back to Proverbs seventeen twenty seven that says a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. But there's this a is lot called of th- the, this is uh, another way to say this is it's okay to bite your tongue sometimes. <laughs> but most of what I say is necessary. At least Num- I like to yeah, think. Correct. So. Number two. Let's <laughs> let's uh, talk about number two. Speaking of which, no sarcasm. 
that's a little rough whenever you come <laughs> from the Finch family. But I did find another verse that confirms this. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Or I like it starts out with instead. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing to be more like Christ. You know, that's a that's such a big thing in marriage is not just focusing on, oh, man, I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to be a better wife. My focus has switched. I'm, you know, you just, your, your kids, when they're young, I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better wife. I really just, when I keep my eyes on the Lord and I want to be more obedient to him, those things fall into place a lot easier than just trying on my own. And yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's and I a, think with sarcasm, maybe the... <laughs> It's like you got to know where to draw the line. It's like when you're having a family meeting and somebody says something funny and then someone else piles on and then the next thing you know, someone at the table's crying. You probably took it too far. <laughs> and so our hope is that, you know, when we think about sarcasm, um, it's always important to know where that other person is on the topic because I can handle a lot of sarcasm unless I'm either feeling guilty, convicted, or know that I have a problem and they point it out, and then I don't probably handle uh, sarcasm so well. Some people call me sensitive around that topic. Well, you know, (laughs) we all have our moments. So, you know, if we just worry about saying what's necessary, we will have less sarcasm, right? You know, the third one that kept coming up on our sheets that we have written is just be nice. Be nice. Be kind. Be nice. And again, there was a verse that supported this. Proverbs 15.30 says, A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Now, John did say yesterday, well, cheerful is a little more in your category than mine. I didn't say a realist looks to bring joy to the heart, which I view myself as a realist, but a cheerful one. So I, there, this is a good example where we can learn from our spouses, and, and I, I tend to be a little bit of a cup half full Half empty. Half, you're I'm the half, half empty, empty you're, guy. Jen's the cup runneth over every day. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, right? But uh, as people see Jen, she's full of joy. So she gets this one. But I think what happens sometimes is when we're you're in those intimate conversations and those intense things like about your kids or about what we're going to do or decisions we're going to make, that's where this stuff comes into play, right? It's one thing, um, you know, when it's just your everyday life. I always kind of joke, it's like your Facebook life or your real life. And the, and the reality <laughs> is that sometimes, you know, life can be messy and challenging. Well, if you bring kindness to those challenges, um, you can get past them a lot faster. Well, and it was little things like when someone calls me, I answer, I see who it is and I answer and I answer with, you know, a cheerful voice. Sometimes... If John calls. Even I, if it's just after she yelled at the cat for knocking something yeah, over. Yeah, exactly. Um, if John calls, sometimes if I'm in the middle of something, I don't answer nicely. I, you know, and I'm like, why would I be nicer to, um, you know, a str- you know, just a friend or a stranger even? I'm nicer to the the calls I get from just, you know, about my, about random stuff. And I'm not as nice to John and it changes the demeanor of, of both of us. And whenever I answer with a cheerful voice and, and I think there's a lot to be said for just being nice. And so number four, um, maybe when someone isn't being nice, uh, the other part of that is don't take offense. Sensible people control their temper they earn respect by overlooking wrongs, Proverbs 19.11. And this mm-hmm. one really 
pierces me because the one thing that that I think God's really challenging me with is is having more grace uh, for anybody, for that matter. <laughs> I tend to it doesn't matter if you're driving down the road or it's a family thing, but I think the idea of of um, having really high expectations, you know, for others, and if it doesn't go well, is you know sometimes taking offense. So I think Proverbs nineteen eleven really speaks to being sensible and being forgiving and having grace uh, with the other person. And that's, it's interesting. I've, I've read many times, it's, we often, you know, we say, oh, he offended me. Really, it's not. We take offense to that. And if we can remember that we have that ownership in that, it can take a moment of potential tension in your marriage and soften it if we just remember that. And the the fifth one that we kind of identified was listening before speaking. And there's another Bible verse, many of them that go along to support this. James 1.19 says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And how true is that when we stop and we realize that other person, maybe they're coming from a place of frustration, maybe there's something else going on. And if I don't take offense and I listen, it's, it's amazing the peace that follows. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. So the recap on those: only say what's necessary, no sarcasm, just be nice, don't take offense, listen before speaking, and and keeping in mind that you know God chose your partner long before you knew them, and respecting and putting God first to remind yourself. Uh, how valuable God sees that other person. Mm -hmm. And all of these are really valuing the other person more than self. And it's hard at times, but when done well and and done consistently, it also really is gratifying in your marriage and just uh, you're looking forward to time together. So I think that back to the empty nesting, I think a lot of people talk about, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? I can't imagine what it's going to be like when our kids leave. And we're Mm -hmm. like, you know... We love our kids. They're awesome. Uh, we also love the idea that they're writing new chapters in their own life, and and we're writing new chapters as a family in terms of how we spend time together. And we're also writing a new chapter uh, in in our marriage. And and you know why not look at it as it's possible that it can get better, not oh now what do we do? And I think we both have have really been intentional about that and intentional about uh, growing in different ways. Uh, and really, that's what God's called us to do in, in an institution like this. And I think for me, God has been so faithful. Like when our when the babies started going to school, that was transition. And when they graduated and then the next one graduated, every, there was so many different stages that if you don't want them to stay the same, you want them to continue to grow. And it's the same thing with marriages. You want your marriage to grow. And when there was a while there where I asked John, I'm, I'm like, I was getting a little worried. Are we supposed to have conflict? Because everybody keeps, they're worried about us empty nesting. And I'm like, should we be this excited about spending time with just each other again? And so it is, it is interesting to see how God has really blessed us in that. And like John said, I mean, we love our kids. We love it when they're home. We love it when we get to go see them. And we even gave them the opportunity to chime in on what 
you know, what we're doing here today. And we, we texted him last night and I said, okay, what's one thing that each of you would take from, or if you were talking to one of your friends about our marriage, what, what would you say if they asked about our marriage? So you share. So we won't name names in these. (laughs) Because it took a little while to get all three of them to text us back in a timely fashion. We won't um, say who took the longest. No, we won't. But uh, one of them said, when I talk to my friends about my parents' great marriage, I say they're very genuine and honest towards each other, and that creates a strong, happy marriage. Another one, another child, said, I admire the way you two take care of each other, no matter how upset you are with one another. We may have argued in front of them a time or two. I don't know. When did he get that? It's possible. The way you talk things out when something upsets the other sticks out to me. And your communication is good when talking about what you're doing or going to do that week. So good communication. That's good. Yes. Last but not least. And the third one says, first of all, sorry, I didn't see the question. (laughs) Which tells you who was last. But their answer was, I feel like y'all have a marriage that many couples strive for. You are content and happy, but you're always working to be better for each other. I know that we could have we, we could have nothing and we would still be a happy family. And so one of the things, maybe as we talk about the relationship, there are moments that are really telling in terms of the importance of having a great partner, Mm -hmm. a great spouse. And so, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, when I left uh, my career and I was going through this process of what to do next and everybody's like, Oh, you're retired. I'm like, well, I really retired from the corporate world, but I love working. I want to create value. I want to serve, but what's that look like? Uh, but through that process, it was a, a sabbatical, if you will, but it was, it was a bit of a struggle to know, well, what is my identity? Because I was always being introduced and or get you know introduce myself and they'd say hey I'm John I work for and then after you're not working there anymore and you go I'm John I used to work for and I really struggle with sort of completing the sentence about well what do you do now and then as I started developing my own business and some other things that came along but there was a moment in the kitchen and I'm like just sort of the raw one-on-one, and I'm going, wow, I didn't realize this was going to be difficult. Um, And I just really remember saying I'm struggling with, like, what is my identity? And and this is when having a strong marriage and and a spouse like Jen matters, and that is, she's like, John, I just feel I, I need to speak this to you. Your identity is in Christ, not in the title you have, the business you own, and while the world may identify you that way, that's not how Christ has identified you. And I cannot tell you, there couldn't have been more powerful words spoken to me in that moment to remind me that no matter what I did or what I do or don't do in the future, that my identity is in Christ and that our identity as a marriage is in Christ. And while we put each other at the you know top of the list in terms of priority, nothing is more important than having God at the top of that and, and, and us both being good that we're second place. Yeah. Because I think the world makes us feel like we need to be chosen by, you know, the world, the world's standards and just the reminder that we are all chosen by God. Our spouse chose us. God chooses us. We are so chosen that goes far and beyond anything the world can choose for us. 
And the having a spouse who is in the word, a spouse who has mentors, a spouse you go to church with, that is where you can remember what your true purpose is, your true being chosen. And, and I think that growing up, you know, when you're a little girl, you think you're going to, you're going to get married. Everything's going to be roses because everybody's just going to be la la la, you know, like a Pollyanna world. And John's mom gave us a really cool, um, framed little saying whenever we got married. And it says the goal of marriage is not to think alike, but to think together. And I think my vision was we always have to think alike. You need to think like me. You need to think glass half full, not half empty. But when you start accepting and receiving the differences that you have and remembering that they're, the goal is really to think together. And so whether you're parenting or whether you're moving or whether it's a new job or whatever it is, thinking together is so much more beautiful. Um, and then you can just come together and, and, and praying together being in the word together, leading together in different ways. Um, it's spiritually, it's, it makes it so much better just to think together. And I, I just, the encouragement I would give to others, whether you're engaged and about to be married or you've been married a long time, uh, there's, there's just a journey that God wants to take you on. Um, and, and I would say, don't go it alone as a couple, if that makes sense. And that if you have, um, God with you, uh, you can withstand a lot of change, uh, good change or tough change. You can stand uh, climbing mountains and hitting valleys and all those things, you know. And I, and I think that um, my my grandmother at the age of eighty uh, read the book Purpose Driven Life. And you think, why in the world would you be reading that book at the age of eighty? And uh, you know, at that point, my you know, grandfather passed away and she, she really believed that God had more work for her mm -hmm. and uh, she lived to 98. So she got a lot out of that book is what <laughs> I always tell people. And part of that was that, um, she knew where she was going and she knew she'd be reunited, uh, with, with her husband someday in the spiritual presence, not, you know, in the physical mm -hmm. nature. Uh, but all along though, um, she, she truly had purpose. And I think that if you have purpose, uh, Christ-centered purpose in your marriage. Uh, there's just a lot that God wants uh, to bless you with, and uh, God wants to um, restore marriages. God wants to bless marriages that are strong, and and He wants to cultivate uh, dating. Uh, I I truly believe this because we have kids that are all you know at that age where they could be dating, and and we talk about this all the time. Is when you're dating someone, can you see yourself married to them? And, and know what that's about, because if you can't see that, it's, it's, it's probably not going to last. And I, just, I would just encourage that when, when people are thinking about an institution, uh, it's not one of those things you exchange if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. This is something you build upon and build upon to make it stronger. And uh, what you want to be able to say when, when, uh, when life uh, ends and you get called to heaven is, as, as parents, as spouses, uh, well done. And I, if whether you had parents like ours, John and I both have sets of parents that have been married for almost 60 years, um, each, each set of parents, and or whether you have been through broken marriages, that you, you can start a new institution where you are. And I heard a, a friend speak to that one time. She had um, remarried, and she said, you know, we're breaking that cycle now. So whether you have been blessed with you know, marriages that have been thriving for 60 years or not, 
And we just want to leave you with that encouragement that you can break that cycle and and have a strong marriage, but it takes um, work on your own part to walk with the Lord and then walk with your spouse. Awesome. Thanks for having us.